Beloved Bhagwan, you say that our true Buddha nature and all virtues have awareness for their root. But what is the root of ignorance? The ignorant mind, with its infinite afflictions, passions, and evils, is rooted in the three poisons, greed, anger, and delusion. These three poisoned states of mind themselves include countless evils, like trees that have a single trunk, but countless branches and leaves. Yet each poison produces so many more millions of evils that the example of a tree is hardly a fitting comparison. The three poisons are present in our six sense organs as six kinds of consciousness, or thieves. They're called thieves because they pass in and out of the gates of the senses, covet limitless possessions, engage in evil, and mask their true identity. But if someone cuts off their source, rivers dry up. And if someone who seeks liberation can turn the three poisons into the three sets of precepts and the six thieves into the six parameters, he rids himself of affliction once and for all. But the three realms and the six states of existence are infinitely vast. How can we escape their endless afflictions if all we do is behold the mind? The karma of the three realms comes from the mind alone. If your mind isn't within the three realms, it's beyond them. And how does the karma of these six differ? Mortals who don't understand true practice and blindly perform good deeds are born into the three states. Those who blindly perform the ten good deeds and foolishly seek happiness are born as gods in the realm of desire. Those who blindly observe the five precepts and foolishly indulge in love and hate are born as men in the realm of anger. And those who blindly cling to the phenomenal world believe in false doctrines and hope for blessings are born as demons in the realm of delusion. If you can just concentrate your mind 
and transcend its falsehood and evil. The suffering of existence will automatically disappear and once free from suffering you're truly free. The sutras for this evening Bodhidharma is facing the ultimate question which nobody has ever been able to answer The ultimate question is ultimate because it cannot be answered. And every philosophy, theology, mysticism finally comes to the ultimate question. And there is no answer for it. But even a man like Bodhidharma a man of tremendous courage, intelligence, awareness, He still has not the ultimate courage to say that there is no answer to this question. He tries, just as millions philosophers, thinkers, mystics have always tried but have always failed. He also tries as if there is an answer and he knows it. But whatever he says is not the answer. And the question remains untouched. What he says is exactly what is written in the scriptures of the Buddhists. Here he is no more responding to the question immediately out of his own awareness. 
otherwise he would have simply laughed and recognized that there is no answer for it or could have simply said i don't know but to say i don't know needs the greatest courage in the world even bodhidharma does not have that ultimate courage but i have got it i will not in any way try to camouflage through philosophical jargon or theological hypothesis to hide the fact that there is no answer and create an illusion of an answer whatever bodhidharma says here is only an illusion his trying his best to rationalize it to support it from the scriptures and perhaps he may have been able to pacify the disciple but he cannot pacify me first i will read the question of the disciples their question is more important than the answer of bodhidharma their question at least has a sincerity authenticity bodhidharma's answer is just to hide the fact that ultimate questions remain questions this is the whole reason why we call the essential religion mysticism if everything can be answered then there is no question of any mystery existence is a mystery because you can go on answering but finally you can not answer the ultimate question and it is not far away soon it comes up you can answer all superficial things but as you go deeper the ultimate question is coming closer and the moment the ultimate question comes i have not come across yet a single man in the whole history of mankind who had the courage to say 
I don't know. The question. You say that our true Buddha nature and all virtues have awareness for their root. But what is the root of ignorance? From where the ignorance comes in? In other words, in other symbols, which will be more easily understood. The religions that believe in God, they can go on answering questions up to the point where it is asked, who created existence? And they have a ready-made answer, God created it. Now comes the ultimate question, who created God? Because if everything needs a creator, then God must need a creator. And if God needs no creator, then why bother about God? Then why you cannot accept existence itself? without a creator, if you had to accept somewhere or other, then it is better to stop at existence as the ultimate, because at least we know it, we are part of it. God is just a hypothesis, existence is reality. But all the religions have moved from reality into a hypothesis. And then they are faced with a problem which nobody has been able to answer and nobody will ever be able to answer. Any answer is going to lead into an infinite regress. If you say God number one is created by God number two, the question remains the same. Created God number two. You can go on and on, but whatever the number, The question will prevent who created this God. And this is the same question from which we had started.
who created the universe. So God has not been of any help. The hypothesis has not done any service. God is simply a futile hypothesis. It is just a pretension of an answer, but it is not a true answer, because the question remains the same. A true answer means the question should disappear. That is the criterion. In Buddhism there is no God. In the place of God is the ultimate awareness, the Buddhahood, the Buddha nature. This is a different language only. Now the disciples are asking, we can understand that the Buddha nature and all virtues have awareness for their root, but from where the ignorance has come in. Why in the beginning the ignorance? Why not the awareness from the very beginning? This is the same question, only a different theological framework. And any answer to it, without any exception, without knowing about it, I can say is going to be wrong. We have simply to accept the mystery that we are born in ignorance and the possibility is intrinsic in us to dispel this ignorance and become aware. We are born in misery but with an intrinsic potential to overcome it, to transcend it, to become blissful, to become ecstatic. We are born in death, but with the possibility of going beyond death into immortality. But if you ask from where the death comes in, from where the ignorance comes in, from where the misery comes in, you are asking an ultimate question. There is no answer for it. It simply is the case. It is better to use Buddha's expression, suchness, such is the case.
but Bodhidharma could not say it. He started answering. The only right answer would have been, I don't know. And Bodhidharma would have done a tremendous service to humanity. He missed. Whatever he is saying is very childish. It has to be very childish. Because it is not possible that a man like Bodhidharma will not be aware of the fact that he does not know the answer. Nobody knows the answer. Nobody can know the answer. Because nobody can be before the beginning. Just think of it for a single moment. You cannot be before the beginning. If you are before the beginning, then it is not the beginning. You are already there. So beginning must have been before you were there. And unless somebody can be before the beginning, there is no witness who can say, God created the world. Who can say from where ignorance came? All that we can say is that existence is drowned in ignorance. And slowly, slowly, few courageous beings are getting into awareness, rising above the darkness, of life and attaining to the light which is eternal. In another reference, Gautam Buddha makes it clear, although he also never recognizes at any point that it is a mystery and I don't know. I want you to understand that it remains a mystery and it will always remain a mystery. By its very nature there is no way to know the beginning. 
but in a different context he has come very close he says ignorance has no beginning but an end and consciousness has a beginning but no end this way he completes the circle i will repeat so that you can deeply feel it ignorance has no beginning but an end and because ignorance ends awareness has a beginning but it has no end it goes on and on forever in this he is recognizing the fact that don't ask about the beginning of ignorance and don't ask about the end of awareness these two things will remain forever mysterious and these are the most important things in existence if the question was asked to me i will simply say i don't know because that is the most sincere answer it simply means that it is a mystery but bodhi dharma starts answering the question and you can see it does not even touch the question at all the ignorant mind now the question is from where the ignorance and he has already accepted it without answering that the ignorant mind with its infinite afflictions passions and evils is rooted in the three poisons greed anger and delusion is this the answer he is saying the ignorant mind is rooted in certain things delusion anger greed but was this the answer was the disciple asking it was he asking this kind of explanation the question was what is the root of ignorance and if you answer it that this is the root of ignorance for example greed anger and delusion you are simply postponing the answer 
again the question will arise from where come the greed from where come the anger and from where the delusion and then you fall into a vicious circle then you start saying they come from ignorance it is because man is ignorant that's why he is greedy that's why he is angry that's why he is deluded and when we ask from where this ignorance comes it comes from anger from greed and delusion whom you are trying to befool but for centuries these kinds of answers have befooled people perhaps nobody questions these irrelevant answers either because they were so much impressed so much overwhelmed by the individuality of a man like bodhidharma are perhaps they could not figure out that bodhidharma is simply creating more smoke around the question so they cannot see their question clearly he is throwing dust into their eyes it is not an answer but this is not only the case with bodhidharma this is the case with everyone with gautam buddha with mahavir with confucius with lao tzu with zarathustra with jesus with moses with everyone without exception whenever they come close to the ultimate question they start talking nonsense and these are very sensible people very intelligent people but the ultimate question can be answered only by not intelligence but by innocence only an innocent person a person who does not care for any respectability for any wisdom for any enlightenment who can risk everything for his sincerity these people were not able to risk their wisdom they could not say i don't know but that is the only authentic answer because that gives you the sense that you have come to the ultimate 
now begins the mystery. And it is insoluble. There is no way to reduce it into knowledge. It is not unknown that can be made known by efforts, by intelligence, by practice, by discipline, by any methods, by any ritual. The mystery can be lived, but cannot be known. It remains always unknowable. It remains always a mystery. One man, a great contemporary, G. E. Moore, has written a book, Principia Ethica, and perhaps he is the only man in the whole history who has thought so deeply just to define the word what is good. Because without defining good, there can be no ethics and no morality. If you cannot define what is good, then how you can decide what is moral, what is immoral, what is right, what is wrong? He has taken a fundamental question without knowing that it is the ultimate question and he will be getting into trouble. And he was one of the most intelligent people of our contemporary world. And he goes from every direction inquiring almost for 250 pages, just a single question, what is good? And utterly defeated. To define such a simple word as good, everybody knows what is good. Everybody knows what is bad. Everybody knows what is beauty. And everybody knows what is ugly, but when it comes to define, you will be in the same trouble. He was thinking that everybody knows what is good. There must be some way to find the secret and define it. But finally, after 250 pages, of a very concentrated thinking, of the keenest logic and rational analysis, he comes to the conclusion that the good is indefinable. These two hundred pages has been just going round and round and reaching nowhere. Good is indefinable. 
क्रोशे हैज डन द सेम वर्क ऑन ब्यूटी वन थाउजेंड पेजेस ही हैज गॉन इवन फार मोर डीपर देन जी मोर हैज गॉन इन टू गुड्स एंड आफ्टर वन थाउजेंड पेजेस कम्स द लास्ट स्टेटमेंट दैट ब्यूटी इज इनडिफाइनेबल and everybody knows that the most difficult problem is that it is very difficult to find a man who does not know what is beauty and what is ugliness but don't insist for definition even the greatest minds have failed this is accepting failure when they say beauty is indefinable g moor became so frustrated that he said that don't blame me that i have not been able to define what is good even simpler questions this is a very complex question are indefinable for example what is yellow that's what g moor asks that can you define what is yellow you all know what is yellow there is no doubt about it you can all indicate towards a marigold flower this is yellow but he is not asking for indications he is asking how you have come to know that this is yellow what is the definition what is the criterion that this marigold flower fulfills why it is not red why it is yellow you must have certain definitions why something is red and something is blue and something is green and something is yellow on what grounds and then he says that if yellow cannot be defined and although everybody knows what it is and nobody says then perhaps all our knowledge is just very superficial perhaps we have never inquired deeply into anything we have never gone to the very rock bottom otherwise my own understanding is everything is indefinable because everything is mysterious it is not only a question of beauty or good 
of ignorance or awareness, everything, the whole existence consists only of indefinables. To recognize this is to recognize our ultimate ignorance. And to be able to recognize our ultimate ignorance, you need an absolute selfless, egoless innocence. Because that has been missing Bodhidharma is doing the same as everybody else has done. And it is not a new thing. For centuries philosophers have been indulging in simple questions. You all know two plus two is four. But you have never gone deep into inquiry whether it is so or just a hearsay. Because you have heard people saying two plus two is four. So you are repeating generation after generation. Burton Russell one of the greatest mathematicians of our age and perhaps of all ages has written a book, Principia Mathematica. It takes him 250 pages to go into the question whether two plus two is four or not. You cannot even conceive that what he will be writing in 250 pages. Two plus two is simply four and for that all about it. 250 pages such a dense logical argumentation that his book is one of the most unreadable books in the world. <laughs> Just few crazy people like me <laughs> who don't care whether it is readable or unreadable. I have seen in many university libraries the book has not been even opened because many pages are joined. Nobody has cut them. Because even to read two pages is enough. It is one thousand pages in all. 
and one fourth has gone only in discussing whether two plus two is four or not. And the conclusion? <laughs> the conclusion is that it is only a belief. It cannot be said with certainty that two plus two make four. It is a utilitarian concept. It is good, workable. And Burton Russell has not been left unchallenged, even on that. Another mathematician, Godol, challenged him. Because Godol says there is no possibility of two plus two being four. There is no possibility at all. And Godol has the same quality of genius as Burton Russell, he is not in any way a smaller genius, perhaps a greater genius. And his argument is very clear, and Burton Russell has not been able to answer it. Godel says because you can put two chairs and two chairs and naturally there are four chairs. But two in itself is just an abstract symbol. Two chairs is another matter. Just two is just a concept. It is as hypothetical as God or devil. Have you seen two anywhere? <laughs> Have you met with two and said hello? Have you ever seen meeting two with two and hugging each other? <laughs> and Godot's criticism is that because two things in existence are never exactly the same, Something is always different. You cannot find two persons the same. You cannot find even two leaves in the whole forest exactly the same than how two leaves which are not equal with two other leaves which are also not equal can be forced.
they can be three, they can be five, they can be anything but not four. And I understand Godol is right. Of course, my understanding comes from a totally different dimension. To me, Godol is more appealing because it makes existence mysterious. Even you cannot count on such simple answers that two and two are four. Everything is pragmatic. But as far as reality is concerned, it remains unknowable. So you have to remember this. I will go through the answer of Bodhidharma, but it is not the answer. It may be useful to go into it, it may help you to understand something else, but it is not the answer to the question. But it is not Bodhidharma's fault, there is no answer. His only fault is he is not recognizing that I don't know, and I cannot forgive him for that. because I love him and I respect him and I wanted him to be sincere. If he had said, I don't know, he would have risen far above than thousands of other mystics and Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and Arhatas he would have become absolutely unique, but he could not manage. The ignorant mind, with its infinite afflictions, passions and evils, is rooted in the three poisons, greed, anger and delusion. These three poisoned states of mind themselves include countless evils. Like trees that have a single trunk but countless branches and leaves, yet each poison produces so many more millions of evils that the example of a tree is hardly a fitting comparison. The three poisons are present in our six sense organs as six kinds of consciousness are thieves. They are called thieves because they pass in and out of the gates of the senses, covet limitless possessions, engage in evil and mask their true identity. But if someone cuts off their source, rivers dry up, and if someone who seeks liberation can turn the three poisons into the three sets of precepts and the six thieves into the six 
paramitas he rids himself of affliction once and for all all this is okay <laughs> but can you see it is an answer to the question it is true that if you can change your greed your anger your delusion the poisons with awareness transform into nectar the same that was your disease becomes your health the same that was your bondage becomes your freedom all that is needed is to bring awareness into the darkness of your being this is true we have already discussed it many many times in different ways but it is not the answer to the question from where the ignorance comes this is also true if you cut the root then the tree withers away and the root of your bondage of your blindness of your darkness is your mind if you cut the root of the mind and the root of the mind is identity with yourself when you are angry you say i am angry that is the root when you are angry if you are really aware you will not say i am angry you will say i am seeing anger passing through my mind you are a seer you are a witness the root is cut one indian sanyasin who traveled far and wide in the world was ramatirtha he had a very strange habit of never using i instead of using i he will use the third person for himself for example ramatirtha is thirsty he will never say i am thirsty he will say rama is thirsty those who knew him there was no difficulty but he was continuously traveling all over the world for many years he was in america 
and people could not understand when he will say that Rama has a headache. They will ask, where is Rama? Our Rama is thirsty, our Rama is feeling sick. In a strange lens he was moving with his strange people and they were continuously asking that this is a strange way of saying simply why can't you say that you are thirsty? Why make it unnecessarily complicated? But he was practicing a certain method of cutting the root. When he was not saying, I am thirsty, I have a headache, I am feeling sick, I am feeling sleepy, he was trying to avoid the I and trying to be just a watcher. Rama has hunger, Rama is thirsty, Rama is suffering from headache, he is just a witness reporting to you that this is what is happening to Rama, if you can do something, do. He is trying to pull himself away from whatever is happening into his body, into his mind, into his heart. He is trying to clarify himself completely from all identities. He wants just to be a witness. To be a witness is to cut the very root and you will be liberated. This is perfectly right, but this is not the answer to the question. I will go on insisting on the fact that Bodhidharma is creating unnecessary verbiage, so much prose, and perhaps the disciples forgot about the question, but I cannot forget. And neither I can forgive because everything that he is saying is right in other contexts. So he is not saying anything wrong, but whatever he is saying, although is right, 
is not at all relevant and just being right is not the question. The question is to be relevant to the question. He goes on creating more and more But the three realms and the six states of existence are infinitely vast. What relation it has to do with the source of ignorance from where it comes? How can we escape their endless afflictions if all we do is behold the mind. The disciples are asking another question. They have been deceived. They think they have received the answer for their first question. They have not received the answer. Because there is no answer. Now they are asking another question, but the three realms and the six states of existence are infinitely vast. How can we escape their endless afflictions if all we do is behold the mind? They are caught by Bodhidharma. He has deceived them. He has brought them to a question that can be answered. I am reminded of a doctor who was treating a very rich woman. Just common cold. But it was not going. And he was tired because every day she was standing in his clinic with the complaint that the cold has not gone. And in fact, there is no treatment for common cold. Those who know, they say, if you take medicines, it goes in seven days. If you don't take medicines, it goes in one week. <laughs> but the doctor was tired every day the rich lady in her limousine and as he will hear the limousine being parked in front of his door he will say my god sees her back again that common cold is going to kill me <laughs> finally he became so fed up 
that he said, listen, there is only one cure. I have not been telling it to you because it is a little difficult. The woman said, no problem. I am ready to do anything, but I want to get rid of this cold. So he said, you do one thing. Just behind your palace where you live is a big lake. So get up in the middle of the night when it is absolutely cold and freezing. Drop all your clothes. Take a jump in the lake. The woman listened breathlessly what kind of treatment is it is. And then stand on the sore naked don't wash your water on the body let the breeze <laughs> take it away the woman said my god this is the treatment for common cold this will give me double pneumonia doctor said, that is right. <laughs> I have a treatment for double pneumonia. But I don't have a treatment for common cold. So first create double pneumonia, then everything is within control. So now when you come back, come with double pneumonia and I will treat it. But for common cold, just I don't have any other treatment. This is the only treatment. When somebody wants to be treated, then I have to give him this last result. If you can manage to create pneumonia or double pneumonia, no fear. I have perfectly experimented and found valid treatments for them. I take the guarantee. Just you do what I have told you. That's what philosophers had been doing. Whenever you ask them the ultimate question that cannot be answered, they start going into pneumonia, double pneumonia. And ordinary people get puzzled with their words, they think either their question has been answered or perhaps they have forgotten the question by that time the long sermon ends. They are asking another question, now there is no problem. 
they are asking there are so many afflictions and existence is so vast and one has so many lives and so many evil acts just by beholding the mind how one can get free of all that just a simple cure so simple watch your mind and everything is finished it is unbelievable people want something complicated because the problem is complicated in millions of your lives in the past you must have done unaccountable evil acts you must have dreamt unaccountable evil dreams if you have not committed crimes you may have thought to commit that makes no difference whether you actually murder somebody or you simply think of murdering somebody in both the cases your mind is functioning in a evil way it is vibrating in a evil way and those vibrations it carries for millions of lives now so much pass evil actions are accumulated that how they can be dropped just by beholding the mind but this is not an ultimate question this is a very simple question because you may have dreamt your whole life in the night you may have dreamt that you have lived a hundred year life and the time scale in waking and dreaming is different in a single second if you fall asleep you can dream a long dream of years long and when you wake up and look at your watch you are puzzled just one minute has passed in one minute how could you manage a long long dream years and years have passed in the dream in dream time scale is different when you wake up time scale is different we don't know exactly yet what is the time scale in dreaming otherwise we may be able to create watches which you can wear when you are asleep 
that will give you exactly right time. They will not be in minutes and hours. They will be years and perhaps light years. Because you can dream that you have been on the moon. You can dream you have been on a farthest star. It takes four years to reach to the nearest star and four years to come back. And that is about the nearest star. There are stars which will take four million years, five million years to reach and then five million years to come back. You can manage in a single night. In a single dream you can reach to the farthest star and you can come back too. You have to come back. You cannot remain there. It is not possible that you wake up in your room and you don't find yourself there. Because you are gone. I have heard two friends were talking with each other about the dreams they had last night. One man said, Boy, what a beautiful dream. Such big fish. In my whole life I have not been able to catch so many big fish. It was such a joy the whole night. I was going in and in inside the lake and finding bigger and bigger fish. The other said, this is nothing. What had happened last night in my dream, you cannot even conceive. He said, what has happened? And the man said, I am thinking, should I say it or not, because you will not believe it. Even when I am awake, I myself cannot believe it. It has happened. Suddenly I found that in my bed on one side is Sophia Loren. <laughs> I said, my God, from where she got in? And I turned to look at the other side and I found Marlin Monroe. <laughs> I said, what is happening? Have I died and reached in heaven? By this time the other fellow became very angry. He said, you idiot, why you did not call me? When two women had come, what you were doing with two women? One is enough for you. You could have chosen, it was your dream, of course. 
फर्स्ट चॉइस वॉज फॉर यू यू कुड हैव चूजन बट द अदर वुमेन बिलोंग टू मी वट काइंड ऑफ फ्रेंडशिप इज दिस एंड द अदर मैन सेड आई हैड गॉन टू योर हाउस बट दे सेड यू हैव गॉन फिशिंग in a small dream you can do everything possible impossible everything the time scale is different in the morning when you wake up do you say that how it was possible just by waking up all the dreams have disappeared so many dreams such beautiful dreams the same is the situation when a man becomes enlightened all the millions of lives simply evaporate like dream it is not a question of fighting with each and evil act separately that you have to fight on doing good balancing the evil then it will take millions of lives again by the time you can become awakened and meanwhile in these millions of lives when you are trying to undo your past you will be still continuing to doing something or other that will go on accumulating you cannot get out of this trap the only way to get out of this trap is to wake up nothing is needed you don't have to change your anger you don't have to change your greed you don't have to change anything you have simply to be alert and aware and all the projections of greed all the projections of anger all the projections of delusion will evaporate just the way every morning your dreams evaporate they are made of the same stuff as dreams are made of so it seems a simple method and inconceivable to the rational mind that how it can solve just watching your mind and everything will be transformed and you will discover your buddhahood your ultimate beauty joy your ultimate existence your greatest ecstasy how is it possible that's what the disciples are asking bodhi dharma says 
the karma of the three realms comes from the mind alone. If your mind is not within the three realms, it is no mind. It is already beyond this. The moment you are aware, the mind becomes silent and all the actions, good or bad, are created only by the mind. They are just like a film that you are seeing on the screen of the mind. Once you wake up, the film disappears. Suddenly there is a blank screen. Utterly silent, nothing moving, absolute stillness. Mortals who don't understand true practice and blindly perform good deeds are born into the three states. Those who blindly perform the ten good deeds and foolishly seek happiness are born as gods in the realm of desire. Those who blindly observe the five precepts and foolishly indulge in love and hate are born as men in the realm of anger. And those who blindly cling to the phenomenal world believe in false doctrines and hope for blessings are born as demons in the realm of delusion. If you can just concentrate your mind and transcend its falsehood and evil, the suffering of existence will automatically disappear. And once free from suffering, you are truly free. The words he is using is theological, but what he is saying is that those who are living in greed want more and more pleasure. They can project a life of heaven. They can be born in heaven as gods. But this will be only a mind projection. It will be only a belief. I used to live with a professor and when I one day talked about projections he was not 
ready to believe that everything is a projection. He had a younger brother and I had been watching the younger brother because we had lived for almost three months together in the same house. And the younger brother has become very much attached to me. And I was interested in him because I could see that he has tremendous capacity to be hypnotized. Thirty-three percent people are very capable of being hypnotized. It is a very strange percentage, thirty-three percent. Because only 33% people are talented too. And only 33% people are ever interested in any kind of inner search. And only 33% people are open available to be hypnotized. There must be some inner connection between all these things. Perhaps the quality of being hypnotized may be the criterion of a man's possibility of going inwards. Because in hypnosis one goes inwards with the help of others. In meditation one goes inwards on his own, but the way is the same. So to prove to his brother, who was a professor of logic, and never believed in anything unless some evidence was proved. So I hypnotized his younger brother. And I was surprised that even on the first sitting he went so deep that there was no need to have more sittings. I was thinking at least nine sittings and then the experiment can be done. But he had gone so deep in the first sitting that I told him that tomorrow exactly at twelve o'clock and tomorrow is Sunday so I will be at home, your brother will be at home, you will be at home. Don't go anywhere. Exactly at twelve o'clock, 
the same pillow you are lying right now, you have to kiss it. And I am marking the place with a cross, exactly on that cross you have to kiss. I repeated it again and again and again. And when I became certain that it has become an imprint in his unconscious mind, before waking him up I made a cross on the corner of his pillow with red ink. It took almost half an hour to bring him back. He has gone so deep. After waking up, he became normal, except one thing. Again and again he used to look at the pillow, <laughs> and particularly at the cross. And then he will feel embarrassed also that what I am doing, because there is no reason to look at the pillow and at the cross. His conscious mind was not aware at all, but his unconscious mind, now projecting something of which he was not aware. The next day, Near about 11.30 he became very restless. Something from the unconscious was going, telling him to do something, which he was, of course, thinking is insane, to kiss. And I was present, his brother was present, and I had told his brother that, you have to just sit and watch what happens. At 11.50 I took the pillow, put it in my suitcase and locked it. <laughs> and you could see what was happening to that young boy, tears flowing from his eyes. And I asked, what is the matter? Why you are crying? He said, I don't know. But don't put my pillow in your suitcase. I beg you. I said, but what is wrong? I will give you back by the evening when you go to sleep. He said, no. I need it right now. What is the need? I said, I don't know any need. That's why I'm crying, because I cannot give any explanation, but I need the pillow immediately. So I gave him the key. He rushed, because it was getting close to twelve. He opened the suitcase, took out the pillow, and he started kissing that cross 
almost like mad, just like any lover who has found his beloved after many years. <laughs> I asked him, his brother asked him, what are you doing? He said, I don't know, but I feel such a relief. Such a burden has removed from my heart, but I don't know what, who has made this cross, why I have such tremendous compulsion that if I don't kiss the cross I may die. I have to do it exactly at twelve. That was coming from inside me and I don't know anything about it. His brother said, I accept the evidence. When you become infatuated with a woman, do you think your woman is just a cross on the pillow? a biological infatuation, a projection from unconscious, very deep-rooted, not by anybody but nature itself. Your hormones, your chemistry, your biology, they are all functioning in a certain conspiracy against your awareness. They are making you restless, they are making you irresistibly attracted towards somebody, and it is beyond your power to prevent you from this attraction or infatuation, you will be pulled like a puppet. It is not coincidental that all languages say people fall in love. People certainly fall in love, fall into unconsciousness, fall into biological hypnosis fall into the instinctual nature. They are no more conscious human beings. That's why this kind of infatuation and love affair finishes very soon. Once you have got the woman, once you have kissed the pillow, finished. A great burden, a great relief, But it was pillow, so it was a simple phenomenon, but the woman you have kissed and you cannot kiss without a preface. It needs some introduction, 
going to the movie, to the disco, all kinds of things, as absolutely preliminary necessities, promising all kinds of promises, bringing roses and ice cream. <laughs> this is the preface. And after all this preface, when you kiss a woman, she is not just a pillow. Now she will cling to you. Now you cannot escape. Now you want to escape, but your own preface has created the prison. Now you cannot go against your word. But all the seekers of human consciousness are absolutely agreeing on the point that all your misery, all your happiness, your sadness, all your joy is nothing but your projection. It is coming deep from your unconscious mind. And the other person is functioning only like a screen. And once it is fulfilled, you are finished. And suddenly the same woman you were ready to die for, you are ready to kill her. It's strange. Such a great change. Love turns into hate so easily, and yet you are not aware that love and hate both are your projections. When one is finished, the other remains there. It is true that once you are free from suffering, you are truly free. All that Bodhidharma is saying is right, but he has not answered the question. <laughs> and I want to say to you, nobody has answered the question. And the reason is because life is a mystery. You can go only so far and then all your mind has to be left behind and you enter into an existence where no question is relevant, no answer ever comes to you, but you can enjoy the experience immensely. I am all for experience, not for knowledge. And I feel sad and sorry for Bodhidharma, 
because he has failed me. If he had said, I don't know, he would have raised himself as the highest and the greatest mystic the world has ever known. But I want to say to you, I don't know. And I want to emphasize that you should also remember whenever there is an ultimate question, don't try to deceive. Others are yourself. Simply accept your innocence. Say with humbleness, I don't know. And it is not a question of ignorance, it is a question of your awareness that life is a mystery, a miracle. You can taste it, but you cannot express anything about the taste. You cannot define it. And this is the greatness of existence. This is where all scientists have failed. This is where all philosophers have failed. This is the only place where mystics have succeeded. Bodhidharma is a mystic. And if he meets me, and somewhere there is a possibility, in this eternal life, this unending existence, someday, somewhere, I am going to catch hold of him. <laughs> and he will recognize me, because I am using the same sandals <laughs> that he is carrying on his staff, the exact type, my sandal comes from the Zen monasteries of Japan. It is particularly Zen. Zen people have everything of their own. Even if they use cups and saucers from the market, first they break them down, then they glue them up, <laughs> then they make them unique, then there is no other piece like that. Then it becomes Zen, <laughs> original. And without any other copy anywhere, just one of the kind. This sandal that you see has been used by Zen people since Bodhidharma almost for fourteen centuries. The first sandal was sent to me 
by Zen master from Japan as a present. So he will immediately recognize me. I have just to show him my sandal. And I have to ask him that why he missed a great opportunity when he could have become the greatest mystic in the world and he had every capacity, he has the genius for it. Okay, Manis. Yes, Bhagavan.